stripes, plaid. That's because my feet were cold this morning. So that's why I wear the socks. It's good like that. There's there's a reason why... I, I can never say this in the right way. Like First for service. I said, there's a reason why I'm wearing shorts. It's not because you really want to be looking at these legs, I know. Uh, but uh, but I, was, I was talking about how I wasn't wearing pants today for a reason. And I went, that just sounded really bad. But on the recording, somebody's like, what kind of church is that? Doesn't wear pants. What's going on with that? Uh, if you are new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the elders here. Nice to have you. If you need a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. Uh, if you forgot one, you can grab one of those and just use one and then put it back when you're done. Or if you don't own one, you can keep one. There are uh, sermon notes on all the communion tables around the room. So if you, I kind of talk kind of fast and my message is a little bit long today, so I feel the need to speak faster for some reason. So uh, grab some sermon notes if you, if you want those as well. Uh, again, uh, baptisms are today. You are all welcome to come. We'd love to have all of you there. We are doing tri-tip sandwiches. Uh, again, your job is to bring a dessert or something to share, like chips or a salad or something like that, and something to drink. It'd be good if you brought a lawn chair, but you don't have to. There's a bunch of grass. A lot of people don't like, you know, bring a big blanket. Let everybody, beach blanket bingo, whatever that is, you know. It'd be great. You guys can all have fun with that kind of thing. Uh, there's directions also on all the communion tables. So if you want to come, grab some directions. Meet us there. Uh, they'll start about 1 o'clock. Hopefully you'll be there about that time. Hopefully I'll get you out of here by 1. <laughs> Uh, lately, uh, in the last three weeks, it's kind of where I've had a lot of people ask me questions again about like the podium and the communion tables and, and the offering boxes and stuff. And so I just let you guys know again, we have two guys uh, named Jason Cassaro and Rick Teixeira. Uh Rick Teixeira made this and all the communion uh, or uh, all the giving boxes. And then Jason Cassaro came in and he made our communion tables to match. Uh, so th- those are two guys that make them. If you want to, I don't know, hey, can you make me something really cool? Go talk to them because they make cool stuff whatever okay uh and lastly uh when we are done this morning there will be uh an umbrella outside it's a green umbrella it's a small group signups you should all be part of a small group uh one of the goals that we have is you you can't necessarily be friends with like 300 people not even on facebook okay actually i have 380 friends on facebook which is less than some other people but i I don't keep it i never check my facebook page so if you ever like hey you didn't reply to me there's a reason i don't look at facebook very often so you can't really keep track with 300 friends so what we want to do is we want to make elements smaller and so we want to be able to help you guys get into small groups connect with some other people so that you can have those deep spiritual friendships that we're all called to have so sign up out there get in a small group Uh, they'll be launching hopefully by the end of may and we'll plug you guys in with some other people good Three of you are like, okay. All of you, we're good. All right, stand me reading to God's Word. This is Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. And it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would have us understand that, that we are one in you. And that should bring us great humility in recognizing who you are and that you call all of us to be one, that we do not get to be self-righteous, that we do not get to look at ourselves and think of ourselves as better than somebody else, because we are all one. Help us to live that way. Amen. Have a seat. We have a Bible open to Ephesians chapter 6, because that's where we are. We've been seeming to do almost everything controversial in the last few weeks. Uh, wives submit to your husbands. Husbands, you know, love your wives, parents, and kids. And I talked about how dads are to make sure they raise their kids. And today is not controversial at all. Today we talk about slaves and masters. 
So the conflict continues. Uh, have you ever heard anybody refer to the scriptures and say, oh, well, the Bible condones slavery? It, it does not. It does not. And we'll talk about that this morning. Uh, give you a little bit of background, but up front, I will state the obvious that I am against slavery. In case you were wondering. Okay. Uh, but we've got to go through a lot of stuff because the Bible actually never out, overtly, outrightly calls for the eradication of slavery. It doesn't mean that it doesn't call for it. It just never uses those words. And this is, an important for, this is important for us theologically, because this subject, when you look at the history of church, you see a whole lot of things that go back and forth on this issue. When we think of slavery, we tend to think of it of how it was practiced in our nation, which we would call the slave trade, where people would be ripped from their homes and ripped from their families and sold to someone who treats them like an animal or a piece of machinery for economic purposes. In 1 Timothy 1.10, it says, Slave traders are some of the most wicked of sinners. Uh, Paul actually calls it contrary to sound doctrine. So slave trading is a heinous sin. And that was a slavery that was practiced in the United States. Uh, in the United States, it was also large part racial. It was whites owning blacks. It was a lifetime of servitude where even your children and your children's children would become property. Uh, you can read some wills of some very long dead white guys who bequeathed people, people to their heirs. It's like my land, my four cows, and my Negro slave. Now, you and I, hopefully, we look at this and we cannot fathom how anybody could see another human being as property. Hopefully, right? Uh, many of the founders of our nation, uh, they, they called themselves Christians. Not all, but, but some of them. And I'm not saying they were because you can claim something you do not have. You know, you, can, you don't possess everything you profess. Like if I was to say to you, I am a supermodel. Can't you tell by my junior high school girl figure? Because... You would say, oh, you're not right. I don't, I don't possess what I just professed. Uh, and and that's, that's the thing. I think there's a lot of people that were actually uh, like that. Uh, but they did believe that they were made by God, and that is a good thing. They believed they were endowed by their creator with certain rights, and that is good. But when it came to representation, whites eventually were given full representation, and blacks got three-fifths representation, and that is not good. You know, it, the non-whites viewed other people as 60% human. I mean, the fact that the, these framers you know, claim to be Christians is all the more troubling because how do you look at other people and claim to be Christians and believe that other people are only 60% image bearers of God? It is baffling to me. This takes place until the passing of the 13th Amendment that eradicated slavery, but racial injustice still continued after this and it ended up giving birth to the Civil Rights Movement. The country was split down the middle, and the church also got split down the middle because many who argued for slavery, they did it from Scripture. I think it's a warped view, but they did it from Scripture. And those who opposed it also argued against it from Scripture. The debate in slavery was in large part Christians. Uh, what actually ended slavery in the majority of the world is actually Christians standing up and saying, this is wrong, we should not be doing this. Uh, many denominations actually split over this issue, where you get northern and southern, the southern Baptist. Uh, Presbyterians split over this issue. Uh, some other churches picked this up as their, as their we're going to go with this as our main thing that we talk about. Uh, Anabaptists, Methodists ran with that. And so we're left with a history in our nation and the church that's ugly because people refuse to follow scripture as it is laid out. And Ephesians chapter 6, what we're going to look at today, is right at the center of that debate. Is slavery justifiable? 
Now, slavery in Paul's day and our day is some things are the same and some things were completely different. So I'm going to show you the same and then I'll show you what's different. It was the same in that slaves were viewed as property. They could be beaten, mutilated, branded, mistreated. They could be killed. Uh, They did not have any rights. So you hope you had a master that was a good master. Now, it was dislike it was practiced in America because it was not primarily a racial issue. All races had slaves. All races were slaves. Uh, Many had slaves of the same race that they actually were. Slavery for them was not a black and white issue. Uh, Slaves in Paul's day actually even owned slaves. Uh, It was ingrained part of their culture. Uh, one, One third of Rome at any given time were slaves. So, and this included the church. So if there are 300 people that come to Element today, 100 of us would have been slaves. It'd be a third of the band, a third of the elders, a third of the deacons, a third of the small group leaders, a third of the nursery school workers, a third of the greeters. So the early church had a little bit of conflict. Can you imagine? Yeah, a little bit in there. Uh, you know, outside the church, one person could be master and the other a slave. You come into church and that slave could be your pastor. I mean, imagine that. So, you know, there's just a little couple things going on there. Because in the church, there is no slave, there is no free, Galatians 3.28. It solely rests upon your qualification according to Scripture. And you might be a slave, but in the church, this is like my rhyme, you can be pastor to the master. What, what? So, sorry, that's all I got. Um, so who has, also has ultimate authority when it comes to this? It is why none of you would want me to be your employee. Because imagine I do something crazy during the week and you've got to discipline me. You come in here and then I'm going to preach and I'm going to be like, and don't be like my boss, third row, fifth chair in, because he did went awkward, right? It'd just be crazy. You wouldn't want that to happen. Um, also, slavery in Paul's day was not a lifetime of servitude. Most slaves in Paul's day were freed by the age of about 30. Uh, you, you could actually make money as a slave and you could buy your freedom. Occasionally, the government would decree that certain slaves should be set free. Over the course of Rome, hundreds of thousands of slaves were set free. Also, the way you got into slavery in Paul's day was different. Uh, in the U.S., again, it was slave trading. In Paul's day, some were taken in war. Some were sold by family members. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate that a whole lot. Uh, infant side was also practiced where you could take your, your baby or your young child and place them outside of a temple where they would die in the elements, and it was perfectly fine. And so some people would go and they would take these kids into their homes and raise them as slaves. Christians actually did this, not took them as slaves, but they would take them into their homes and they would raise them as part of their families. They would adopt them just as God has adopted us into his family. Uh, you could also be in slavery because of debt. You didn't get to file bankruptcy and say, sorry, I don't have the cash. You'd have to actually sign a contract to work for a certain period of time to pay off the debt. Lots of slaves were people who couldn't get credit counseling in a government bailout era. Okay? Uh, You couldn't refinance your home. You couldn't get another credit card. You became a slave to pay off that debt. Uh, Some people even sold themselves into slavery. If you didn't have a whole lot of money, you were starving all the time, you sometimes would go find somebody who had a lot of money and say, I would like to work as your slave. And then you would get fed and you would have to work for them the rest of your life. Now, some slaves, again, were treated very poorly. You look at the history of Rome, there's a lot of heinous sin that was committed against people. But there are other slaves who are actually treated very well, like a nanny in a family. It all depended upon the master. So why does the Bible never outrightly say slavery should not exist? That was the heart of the controversy. And to say, well, it doesn't overtly say it, so... Well, silence doesn't argue for anything. The Bible never says it's great. Silence doesn't infer that the Bible thinks it's good. 
Many of God's people were hauled off into slavery throughout history. Joseph, Daniel, the entire nation to Babylon. And God deals harshly with those who do that. Slave owners never look good in the Bible. Uh, scripture, though it doesn't say it outrightly, it does argue against it in principle. Uh, we are to love our neighbor, not own them. Okay, uh, Leviticus 19, 18, Matthew 5, 20, 42 to 42, 44, Romans 13, 9 and 10. You are to love others as you love yourself. Treat them like you want to be treated. Matthew 22, 39, Galatians 5, 14. Breaking into your neighbor's house and then stealing them and putting them in chains and sticking them on a ship is not something you want to have happen to you, so don't do it to anybody else. Uh, Ephesians 5, 1, be imitators of God. Jesus lives in a day when slavery is normal, but he didn't have any slaves himself. And John 13 says he instead came to be a servant of all, to show us how to live. Galatians 3.28 says there is no distinction about who is better in the kingdom of God. In front of God, we are all equal. Self-righteousness is what typically motivated slavery in our country. Racism, where we think we are better than somebody else. And that is awful. But I will tell you, even today, people still do that. We think whatever is in our life makes us holier than somebody else. Oh, I'm rich, so I'm holier. Oh, I'm very poor, so I'm holier. Oh, I'm healthy, so I'm holier. Oh, no, I'm really sick, so I'm holier. And this could even go into race. Oh, I'm white, so I'm holier. Oh, oh, I'm black, so I'm holier. And we try and do all these things to make ourselves better than somebody else, whatever toils or blessings that we have. And it's all sin. It is all sin because we are all equal. We are all equal. One, we all bear the image of God. And two, we're all wicked. There you go. We are all equal. We are sinners and we all need Jesus. Christianity is supposed to be a leveling of this field where we realize that no one is better than anybody else. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Scripture argues against all the pillars that slavery is built on. Slave trade, self-righteousness, abuses, injustices. 1 Corinthians 7 says, if you are free, don't go into slavery. You, know, you should want to follow Jesus faithfully. If you have a master other than Jesus, sometimes that becomes very difficult to do. Philemon is written to an owner of a slave about his slave that had run away and, and gone back. And Paul says in the church, there may be masters and slaves, but in the church you are brothers. You are family, so treat each other like family. Now, I think the reason Scripture never outrightly says stop slavery is that it would have actually encouraged sin in some various cultures. Because if Scripture said no slavery, you have no obligation, abandoned children could have been put back out on the street. If you stole from someone or borrowed money, you couldn't pay back. That was an injustice to the lender because you would have gotten away with it. Paul always argues against sin and for righteousness. Not everyone who was a slave was a slave because of an evil done to them. Some were because of debt. To say, oh, you're Christians now, you don't have to pay anything back is kind of crazy talk. You become a Christian, you write letters to like your creditors and your school loan and your mortgage company and say, I met Jesus, tough luck. Take it up with him. He pays it all. Woohoo! You know, it's great if you're in debt, but it's terrible if you're a lender. So Paul talks about what every church and every family and every society should have. Rights and responsibilities. Rights are what is owed to me. Responsibility is what is owed to other people. Now, are we, as we as people, do we love rights or do we love responsibility? No, we love rights. You, nobody goes to court and to litigate to have the responsibilities. We litigate to get rid of our responsibilities and give me my rights. That's why we go to court. That's what we want to litigate for. And what happens is you, you see Paul when he comes in and he talks about marriage in Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. And does he stress rights or responsibilities? 
responsibilities. When he talks about parents and kids and he, in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, does he talk about rights and responsibilities? Responsibilities. And so when he talks about slaves and masters, do you think he stresses rights or responsibilities? Responsibilities. Exactly. And this may be tough for a lot of us because we like our rights. But a wife has a right to be loved by her husband. But whose responsibility is it? It's her husband's. It's her husband's. And so it doesn't make sense for Paul to stress the right of the wife or the responsibility of the husband. The responsibility of the husband. You know, a, a husband has a right to be respected by his wife. So what does Paul stress? The responsibility of the wife. You know, parents and kids, the same way. Kids have a right to be raised by their dad and loved by their dad. So what does Paul stress? The responsibility of the dad. Our rights are always connected with other people's responsibilities, and yet we love our rights, but our rights and responsibilities are to go hand in hand with each other. And we are people who yell for our rights while shirking our responsibilities, while trying to make everybody else do their responsibilities so we don't have to. And I think we are coming to a great place of injustice in our world because everyone thinks they are owed something, but nobody thinks that they are obligated to anything. And that's a great problem in the world, and so it's going to be a problem in the church. And so don't let it trouble you when Paul speaks to slaves and he stresses responsibilities. Okay, that's my intro. Here we go. Ephesians 6, 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Now, we no longer have slaves in our nation. That's a very good thing. So how does this then apply to us? How do we put this together? I got slavery and I got you and I got to connect those things together. So how do I do this? I will translate this into our culture as best as I can. So I'm going to talk about employers and employees. And you're like, Oh, no, I shouldn't have come today. That's what we're going to talk about. People in authority, people under authority, those who manage and those who do the work, owners and workers. Very practical. So I'll read this again in our vernacular, Ephesians 6, 5. Employees, obey your boss with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. That makes a little more sense, right? Okay. Work includes what you're paid for and what you're not paid for. Uh, Stay-at-home moms, is that work? Yes. A lot of work. And they get paid. No, no. If you're a student, you know, they don't pay you, you pay them. But does it still work? Yes, it's still work. If you volunteer in a ministry or an organization, you don't get paid, but it's still work. Whoever is in authority over you, you're supposed to respect. And so we work hard and we work honest because we realize that we as believers are ultimately working for Jesus. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says we're saved by grace. Uh, Verse 10 tells us that there are works that he now has for us to do because we have been saved by his grace. We do not work to earn salvation, but good works will come out of salvation that God has given us. So Christians should work different than non-Christians. We should work with more respect and more integrity and more honesty. And when everybody else is ripping off a company, stealing stuff, surfing the net, you should be doing your job. That's what we are called to do. But is that the reputation that most Christians have in the world? No, it's not. Most bosses aren't like, man, if I could just hire more Christians, this would be a much better company. It's not. It's not because Christians tend to love their rights and not their responsibilities like everyone else. We're like, oh, I have a bad boss, so I'm going to be a bad employee. And that's our mindset. But you must ask yourself the question, if Jesus was my boss, would I be acting differently? I mean, you may think you have a bad boss. No worse than a slave, okay? At least you get to go home at night. You know, slaves didn't get to do that. And so you work hard and honest and well. I have had some terrible jobs in my life, okay? Element is not one of them. But but I I used to work at this company where we 
answered the phone and took uh, orders for car parts. So if your car broke down, you know, we'd, we'd take orders from them. There's a guy that, that worked there, and he's a Christian guy, and he's always put his phone on do not disturb so he could read his Bible. Is that cool? No, that's not, it's not cool. In case you do that, it's not cool. Where's the little WWJD? What would Jesus do? Jesus would answer the phone and take an order for a car part. That's what Jesus would do. And you know, someone goes, oh, well, you didn't take my call. You know what? Well, I was reading my Bible. They'd want to be atheists if God won't let them order a car part to get their car fixed. You do your job. You do your job well. Seriously, the question is, if Jesus worked your job, would he work it like you work it? Would he work it like you work it? I have this friend who has a couple of jobs. He, he's got a whole bunch of kids, so he needs them. Uh, and so one of his jobs is a nighttime security guard job. A couple guys are usually on duty at, at one time. And the other guy that works with them is always leaving during his shift, eating, getting loaded, going to parties, comes back at the end of his shift, and, and he clocks out. It's my friend's anniversary, and he's scheduled to work. So he, has to, so he goes into work, and his, the other guy at work says, Hey, why don't you go to dinner with your wife? I'll clock you out. Should my friend do that? No. You know why? It's stealing. That's why you don't do it. You know, it's, if, if my friend can work hard and well and maybe even do the other guy's job, should he? In a sense, yes, because he should work hard and well, but he should not lie for the other guy. Okay? He should not lie for the other guy. Uh, but, but, you know, the, it's kind of funny. They did a drug test recently. Guess who passed? My friend. So it's okay. So now he gets, he's like the one guy working there, and he is working two, for two people and gets paid for one. But it's like, oh, should I get paid more? No, you know, you, you have a right to get paid for the hours that you work. Too often, we want to look at other people. We want to say, oh, they're sinning, so, so I should sin too. No, you work for Jesus. You and I are to be different than that. Verse 6, Paul says, Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. So do you work hard even when your boss is not looking? You know, when you're on, Anybody work a job where you're not supervised? Nobody's looking over you all the time. Okay. Wow, first service, it's like three-quarters of the room was like, yeah, me. Okay, so it, you're working it and you're unsupervised. So do you work different if your boss is around? Do you do things differently? I mean, lots, lots of people only work hard when someone's actually watching them. There's a boss, I shouldn't tell you this, there's a boss screen you can download on the Internet. And so what you can do is like, do whatever you want to do. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, my boss, click it, boom. And it's like, oh, I've been working all day. Look at my screen. It's crazy. Just ways to get around work. Uh, do you know that, that in, in America, one of the biggest problems is employee theft? Many times the issue isn't, how do I keep people from the outside to come in and stop stealing my stuff? It's how do I keep the people that work for me to stop stealing our stuff? My first real job, I was not a Christian. I worked at a drive-in movie theater. I'm the new guy. Uh, it's <clears throat> around the corner. And, and I'm the new guy. When you're a new guy, you've got to do everything. Everything. Uh, I, I cleaned the bathrooms at a drive-in movie theater. Okay? You've been in like, like you know, the nasty one... I mean, uh, Edwards, uh, over here, sorry. <laughs> Even like an old bed, imagine a drive-in movie theater. At the time, they, it's like in the guy's restroom. Girls, hopefully you'll never have to experience this because you'll have to go into therapy. Uh, but they have like a big trough. where all, Yeah, and guys are supposed to walk. I'm like, stage fright, can't go. You know? And, and I, I got to clean this, right? Terrible job. So, so one time, uh, I'm working the concession stand again. New guy, don't know what I'm doing. All the other guys working with me are in the back eating the food not helping the customers get the food, and so they want to get some popcorn, and we're out of popcorn. I never made popcorn. I go over to make popcorn. You know what I do? I set the popcorn machine on fire. It's like flames. Oh, it's crazy. And so, and so I got this little button that says liquid, and I'm all, put it out. Well, you know what the liquid is? It's oil. 
So it's just getting bigger. I'm like, ah! So I got in a whole lot of trouble trying to do the work of three people. But I will tell you, Jesus would not sit in the back eating nachos while I set the popcorn machine on fire. It's like if you have a friend who, who works at a hotel and you go to their house and all their chairs are like chairs from the suites and their bedspreads from the rooms and, and you go in their bathroom and it's like, oh, they got the little bottles, got the little bottle of shampoo and soap and oh, and it's so nice and wonderful and you, oh, I want my hand on the towel and it says Hilton. Is that cool? No. No, it's not cool. You know, it, so if you're a student, you're unsupervised. Are you reading the books that you say that you're reading? Do you do that? If you're a parent, you're unsupervised. Are you raising your kids as God is calling you to actually raise your kids? If you work in a profession where you bill for the hours that you work, if you're a lawyer or a construction worker or a computer tech, you know, do you bill for hours you don't actually work? Paul says you work for Jesus, and when no one is looking, you still work for Jesus. Christianity is not just believing in Jesus. It is living for Him and like Him by God's grace. Christianity is a life in Christ with Christ like Christ. Verse 7 and 8, Paul says, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And so Paul now talks about rewards. Many Christians say, I'm saved by grace. Yes, you are saved by grace. Well, God doesn't judge my works. Yes, actually, God does judge your works. Are you saved by your works? No, you're saved by Jesus' works. But once you become a Christian, God has a life of works that we should be doing. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 26, Paul references what's called the Isthmian Games. This is like before the Olympics. At the end of the Games, the athletes, after it was all done, would go before this thing called the Bema Seat. And they'd be handed out medals and crowns based upon how they did. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul uses this idea of a Bema Seat to speak of judgment for believers. At the end of the age, Jesus is there. We pass before him and he judges our works. What did we do with what he gave us? He redeemed us. He made us new. So what did we do with that? Were we faithful? Were we unfaithful? If he gives a man a wife or a woman a husband, did they love and honor them? If, they, if, they give, if God gives you children, did you, did you raise them as God wants you to raise your children? Because the goal is not, oh, I want to get into heaven. Your goal is to honor God in all that you do. And to hear one day, well done. I mean, imagine. I, I can't think of anything better if God looks at me and goes, well done. I assume God's going to be like, dude, seriously? I just, and I'd rather, I really want to hear well done instead. And it has nothing to do with your position and everything to do with your practice. Because the Bible puts faithfulness, all the emphasis on faithfulness, where we always like to put everything on position. What did you have? I think it's why praying grandmas are going to be like queens in the kingdom of God and most pastors are going to be janitors in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus, he works as a carpenter. And do you think the stuff that he made, they were shoddy or they fell over and maimed people? Do you think Jesus uh, built for one wood and used another when he made something? Of course not. If we're to be like Jesus, we have to see that his work was not just three years of ministry, but the 30 years of carpentry, working hard and well and honest, because work is a gift and it is part of our worship to God. You work for Jesus. I work for Jesus. Between him and you, there's usually some middle management of some sort. It's like Starbucks, so it's kind of sad, but you know that's, that's how it works. Like, like with me, do you know how I spend all my time? No, it's like, oh, I got a meeting. How long is it? 18 holes. You know, I mean, seriously, you know what? <laughs> Pastors are notorious for slipping into laziness. I, I hate golf, so it actually never happened to me. I'll, I'll be like, um, how long is uh, time to go out wakeboarding? That's, that's what I would do. But honestly, I, guess I, take, I take my job very seriously. I feel like I'm always on. 
my, my elders and, and my board and my wife, they're always like, you need to learn how to relax. Even when I'm at home and I'm not, I'm, I'm, I pace. I'm like, i got to be doing something. Because I, I don't know how to relax because I'm always thinking about you guys and, and how to better grow, you know, element to be the people that God calls us to be. So I'm always thinking about this. Because I think if I work for Jesus, I never want to short him. I never want to short him. And you may think, you know, my job is terrible. You know what? Of course your job is terrible. That's why they pay you. Okay? I mean, nobody, nobody pays you to take a nap or, or eat cake. You do that for free. Yeah? If someone wants you to do something unpleasant, they pay you. They pay you. It's like, uh, you know, it, it's, why is gardening such a big profession today? Because nobody wants to pull their weeds or mow their lawn, so we pay somebody else to do it because we hate it. I, I guarantee you are not at your job because you are addicted to filing. Okay? I know someone who files, and they're like, yeah. yeah. Uh, when, when I got married, uh, it would be married 18 years this year. Uh, when I first got married, I worked on a farm, and we used to move these sprinkler pipes. And in the middle of the winter, the water would freeze in the bottom, and they were heavy because the water wouldn't run out. Oh, it was like really heavy. And so you'd, you'd wear these boots, and the ground would be wet, and, you'd, and your boots would I left untold numbers of boots in the field. Uh, and then, and then, I, then you'd walk, and they'd scrape the sides of your legs. Like even to this day, I don't have like hair on the sides of my legs. And uh, you're, like ladies are like, "Ooh, where do I get those boots? That'd be great." You know, I want some of those. Uh, and so I'm always leaving boots in the field, and, and it's ter- so I'm, I'm working this job, and, and I'm and I'm new at it, and so you're not going to really let somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, you know, go and 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 work that alone. So I'm always out, and I'm working with this other guy. So we get to the field, we've got a job to do. I'm like, okay, because I'm a believer at this point. I'm like, okay, I've got to work hard and well. So you get to the field, and this other guy's like, I'm like, let's go, put the tractor in drive. And he's like, we're going to eat. I'm like, dude, it's like 5 o'clock in the morning. What are you going to eat, do? I mean, come on. So I got up, and he goes, oh, we're going to listen to the radio for a little bit. I'm like, seriously? And I'm just, I'm like, you know, chomping out the bit. So I finally get up, then he puts the tractor as slow as it will go. It's like bullet time in Matrix. It's like, pie. Sarah, it's, 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 just, it's just crazy how, how people work. And then if I started to work faster, I'd be like way in front of the tractor waiting for it. I'd probably get him in trouble or something. But as, as a believer, you always work as hard and as well as you can with what is given to you. That's how we are called to work because it brings honor to God. I mean, I, I tried to work faster as many times I, I couldn't. Uh, I know some of you probably have a boss where if you could do the work of two or three people, they will fire two or three people and let you do their work. I know that, okay? But you are called to work for Christ. It doesn't mean you work 80 hours a week. It means you work the job you have the best that you can because uh, you are working for Jesus. Even in, when your boss is a tool, you are still working for Jesus. Sometimes I believe being a Christian is much harder than being a non-Christian. You are told before you become a believer, oh, follow Jesus. It, it all gets easier. You're like, it's been 20 years and I still haven't seen that yet because many times following Jesus is tough. Because we are called to live differently. We are called to live how God calls us to live. And that's called holy, different than how everybody else does it. So God is honored. Now, uh, to the masters, he also gives responsibilities. Verse 9, he says, And masters, employers, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. So, are you an authority over someone somewhere in your life? At school, at work, are you a parent? Is somebody underneath you? You get to tell someone what to do. Not that they listen, but you get to tell somebody what to do. How you treat them, then, is part of your faith. Do you treat them like Jesus would treat them in your place? You don't motivate through threats or hostility. You motivate like Jesus would. Love, grace, humility, example. Because God calls us to imitate Him. 
And when he calls us to imitate him, it's not like he hasn't done it by example. Jesus doesn't say suffer and he never suffered. Jesus doesn't say you may have hardship and he never experienced hardship. Jesus doesn't say you need to be a servant and wasn't a servant himself. Our God has gone before us. Is Jesus servant or master? Yes, he's both. He is both King of kings, Lord of lords, yet comes as a man, serves, suffers, dies, rises from the dead. Jesus is the best boss, and he is the best employee. And if you are a boss, you are called to care for your employees like you'd want to be cared for. That's how you're to care for them. Uh, if you're a you know, mom with, with some kids, uh, you, know, you, you let your yes be yes, you know be no, you care for them. How God calls you to care for them, you don't threaten to bury them in the yard every day. I'm going to bury you. If you're a CEO, you know, you motivate without threats, by example. You live in a way that people can imitate. And Paul says this, says, there is no favoritism with him. With God, our status is found in Christ. It is not in our job or a bank account on this earth. I mean, maybe you feel like you don't get paid enough or respected enough. But I will tell you, heaven is a great bonus. It is a great bonus. And Jesus says, don't worry, you know, I'm watching. There's going to be rewards for the faithful. Don't worry. And just because someone has authority over you, it doesn't mean that they hold a privileged relationship with God. And just because you're in a crappy job doesn't mean you hold a privileged relationship with God either. The issue is not poverty or wealth or your job. The issue is righteousness. For me, it is unbelievable that Jesus worked 30 years in a dumpy little town with a boring job. If you and I were God, we'd have a better job and a better town, right? We wouldn't be living in Sisquoc. Right? And we'd be living someplace really cool and we'd make things like TVs or paintball guns or like uh, parachutes and airplanes and you've got to test them every day. No. Wakeboards and boats and you've got to test them every day. We'd make cookies with no cholesterol that tasted really good. So we'd make, you know, I'd be, I'd be a great boss in a great city. That, that's what I'd be. But you know what's amazing? Our God comes. And He does. He works 30 years in a dumpy little town working a job enters three years of ministry, lives a sinless life, dies, raises from the dead, and blesses us as his people because he emptied himself of his right and he took on our responsibility for our sin. And he dies for us. In Ephesians 5.1, we are called to imitate him. Imitate him. Uh, in regard to slavery, we are people who are called throughout Scripture slaves to sin. We, we want to get away, with it, away from it, but we can't. Uh, if you say, well, I'm not a slave to sin, don't sin. Just stop right now. I'll tell you, by the time you get out the parking lot, you're going to want to flip somebody off and be like, ah, dang it, I'm a slave to sin. And, and you'll, you're like, yes, Aaron, Aaron's right. It's not me that's right. It's, it's God that is right. But Jesus comes to take away our sin, to break the chains of what held us down, to emancipate us so that we can live full and free lives in His grace and His goodness and truly reflect who He is to the world that is around us. We are free to be servants of Christ. I will tell you, you either belong to sin or in death or you belong to Jesus in life. It is by grace. It is not by works. It is a gift. And this gift calls us to a life of good work where we take on the responsibilities that God calls us to take on. Because it would be an amazing thing if in our world everybody wanted to hire Christians. If everybody looked towards Christian marriages as the example because they stay together. If everybody looked for serving in our, in our communities, in our world, because that's, oh, look at those Christians. They, they help so many people. If we had that reputation, because that's the reputation we're called to have. Because that's what God calls us to do. Work hard, work well, practically live the lives that he calls us to. 
this morning, I invite you guys to communion. And communion is this place where you take that cracker and you break it like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice, which reminds us of Christ's blood that was shed for us because he emptied himself of his right and took on the responsibility for our sin to redeem and save us. We're going to worship God through prayer. There'll be deacons and elders in the back. And, you know, if you are someone who has a hard time working for him or imitating him, pray with him. They'd love to pray with you. If you don't know who Jesus is and you just heard about him the first time this morning, Jesus, you know, uh, go. they'd love to introduce you to Jesus. Go and pray with them. Uh, we're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back. And we give because God has given much grace to us. And because God has given much grace to us, worship as, as giving is part of our worship. And so we give back to God and we give you that opportunity every single uh, week. We're also going to worship God through fellowship. Or through, actually, song. Song. I'll, I shouldn't have to stand there. Come on up. We're going to worship God through song. Uh, take a few moments as we sing a couple songs. Take communion. Pray a little bit. But we're also going to worship God through fellowship. Our city has the right to hear about the gospel. Whose responsibility is it? Ours. Ours. Our, our world has a right to see the gospel lived out practically in people's lives. And whose responsibility is it? It is ours. It is ours. We are called to live in such a way that the world knows who he is by our lives. By how we love one another, Jesus should be made known. And so we call you to fellowship where there's food in the back, but there's also tri-tip sandwiches. Your, your husband's making it right now, right? Yes. He's over there. Wendy's back there going, yeah, he's making tri-tip sandwiches. I'm so excited. Because I can't eat trade to right now. I'm not, I got high cholesterol, so I gotta be all I'm gonna eat some anyway. Just pray over my stomach. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> and my blood. Uh, so <laughs> we and we worship we do, we worship God through fellowship. For, through us being the people God calls us to be. It is part of our responsibility. But it's also a great blessing when you get to know other people. And so this morning and and this afternoon when we go out there, get to know some other people. You should all come to the baptisms and hang out and get to know some people. Because it is important. It's, again, one of the reasons why we always stray towards small groups. Because you guys should be in community with other believers. Our God is a great God. He is a good God. Uh, within himself, God has community. And he calls us to be a people who also live in community, living for him. So this morning, walk out going, responsibility. Not rights. Responsibility. Because uh, God is the God who wants us to imitate him. Let's pray. Father, uh, this morning, or even this afternoon now, it looks like, uh, we ask that you would help us to understand greater your call for us as your children so that we would see you as you truly are and that we could then begin to imitate you as your children. Where we stop worrying so much about our rights and am I going to get this thing or that thing, but we would more think about our responsibility that you have called us to. God, responsibility is hard. And yet you as our God took on responsibility for us as your people. And God, many times in our lives we, we say things like, there must be more than this. There, there must be more than this thing here. And yet there is. And it's living a life for you and like you. We ask this morning that you would consume all of our self-righteousness and replace it with your grace and your love that you call us to. So we would live in ways that bring you great glory and honor. And no one would have to doubt 
the greatness of your name because of what you do in your people. Have us truly live as your children because there is no other way to live. Amen.